How many times does the Bible mention Santa Claus? A bit of a theme here. How many times does the Bible mention aliens? Some are saying zero. Some are saying lots of times. The correct answer is actually 102 times. The Bible mentions aliens 102 times. So my conclusion this morning <laughs> is that aliens are biblical. Uh, Peter's going to be... <laughs> rushing back all of a sudden from Newcastle. Um, I was kind of scouring the internet to try and find jokes uh, about aliens uh, to discover that actually there aren't any that are funny. There are a lot, and there aren't any that are funny, so I'm not going to inflict any on you. But what I did find that was, I thought, equally funny was the fact that it is possible to purchase alien abduction insurance. This is completely, (laughs) completely true. Alien, an alien abduction insurance policy is redeemed if the insured person is abducted by aliens. Some companies offer policies for alien pregnancy. <clears throat> that is, if, if while being abducted you are impregnated by an alien. Uh, alien examinations and death caused by aliens. And by 1998, some 20,000 people had purchased such policies. Can you believe that? Uh, And some of you may have seen this on TV. There's a guy who has uh, created a tool that will help you if you are um, prone to being abducted by aliens. It's called a thought screen helmet. You see this guy here? His name is Michael Menken. Great guy. Uh, He's discovered that if you spend four hours of your time and $30 of your hard-earned cash, you can make a thought screen helmet that will prevent you from being abducted by aliens. The way it works is that it scrambles telepathic communication between aliens and humans. Aliens cannot immobilize people wearing the thought screens, nor can they control their minds or communicate with them using their telepathy. When aliens can't communicate or control humans, uh, they do not abduct them. So, you know, if you want 10 steps to creating your own thought screen helmet, I can tell you where the website is after the service. Um, Some of you are very nervous already about this message. Um, Maybe we should pray. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, I do believe that you've got something that you want to communicate to us today. Uh, Lord, we've shared some humor together, but I pray now, Lord, as we open your word, God, you would really speak to us. I pray we grasp your heart here. I pray you would speak into our lives, transform our behavior, transform our mindsets for your glory and for the benefit of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I may have to redeem myself in some of your minds, so let's get into the Bible. I've got uh, just four passages of Scripture I want to read very quickly just to kind of set the scene and to demonstrate that I am not completely nuts. Um, The first one's in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 to 19, and it says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you too were aliens in Egypt. Deuteronomy 24, 19 to 21 says, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. 
When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Leviticus 19.34 says, The alien living among you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. And lastly, Psalm 146, verse 9 says, The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. So when the Bible speaks of aliens, these 102 times, what is it referring to? What is God referring to? Um, well, I believe it's quite clear reading these verses, and I want, what I want you to notice particularly is when it says, and you too are to love aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. What was God referring to when he was talked about that? Well, you need to know a little bit of Israel's history. Uh, Israel, the Israelites were God's people in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. And effectively, the Israelites descended from 12 sons who were the 12 sons of Israel or Jacob. And at one point in their history, they ended up in a land called Egypt. They moved there uh, because the nation, their nation was starving. They had to find food, and they went, uh, and they actually ended up buying food from their brother who they had sold into slavery in Egypt. And the long and the short of the story is that they all end up in that land until a new king arises in Egypt, a new pharaoh, who didn't know Joseph and all the kind things he did. And he began to persecute and put into slavery the Israelites in Egypt. And that results, obviously, in the Exodus, which Moses led, which you can read about in the book of Exodus, where he takes the Israelites out of Egypt. What I want you to see here is that God is saying, you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. In other words, you were newcomers into the land of Egypt. You were foreigners there. You yourselves were strangers to that people. You were outsiders. And in summary, you did not belong there. You did not belong in Egypt. What is an alien? Well, my definition is this. An alien is someone who doesn't belong yet. An alien is someone who doesn't belong yet. And God has made a point of including over 100 instances in his Bible that indicate his heart towards people who do not belong yet. And the church of Jesus Christ ought to be a place where everyone feels like they belong, where everyone has the opportunity to feel like they can connect and belong in this place. So whether you're here today, whoever you are, Whatever your religious background, whether it's religious or unreligious, whatever the color of your skin, whatever your financial status, whatever your employment status, whatever your preference, uh, you ought to feel like you can belong in Destiny Church Edinburgh. Welcome to Destiny Church Edinburgh. Church, if we can cultivate and maintain an atmosphere in our church where everyone feels like they can belong, we we'll see people flock to our church. Conversely, if we cannot cultivate and maintain that atmosphere, our dream of reaching thousands of people is no more than a pipe dream. We've got to get good at making people who don't feel like they belong feel like they belong. We've got to get good, in short, at loving aliens. What kinds of aliens am I supposed to love then, Graham? If we're meant to love them, what kind of aliens or outsiders am I supposed to love? I've got two categories of people that I want to speak to you about. The first is those who are outside 
of the knowledge of God. People who are outside the knowledge of God. Someone who is outside the knowledge of God, outside of a relationship with God, according to the Bible, is outside of all of the benefits and blessings that come with faith. They've never experienced the Father heart of God that reaches out to us even in our sinful state. They've never experienced the grace of God which forgives us for all of our sins. They've never experienced the power of God that gives us the ability to live in life of victory over sin. They've never experienced the promises of God, one of which includes that we have eternal life, the concept of everlasting life with God in that place of joy in His presence, full of peace where there's no more suffering or pain. And it is essential that you allow yourself to give people the opportunity, those who are around you, to experience those things, to experience the hope and the grace and the life that we have experienced. Very easy to get trapped inside our own little Christian bubble, isn't it? Where the only time we spend is with people who are already Christians, already believers. And yet I believe a biblical way of living is to gear your life also towards connecting and including people who do not belong yet. We must allow outsiders, those who are outsiders, to feel like they belong in our lives. And a good starting point is to remember um, that you were an alien too once. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I used to be an alien. (laughs) Generally, we'll be more accepting of people who are outsiders when we remember that once we were in their shoes. I don't know whether anyone like me occasionally uh, gets a little frustrated when I'm out in my car and I get stuck behind a learner driver. Any, any of you good Christians know what I'm talking about? Um, when I'm out driving uh, and I get stuck behind a, a learner driver, normally when I'm in the car, I'm in, I'm in a rush. Uh, so when I get stuck behind one, uh, I really have to bite my tongue and my fingers are sometimes drumming on the steering wheel. I'm feeling my blood beginning to boil a little. I'm just like, I need to get somewhere fast and you're going so slow. <laughs> Sorry, Jude. Sorry, where's Jude? <laughs> one of my colleagues is learning to drive just now. Until that, all that happens until a little voice goes off in my head saying, Graham, you were a learner too once. And it can be like that sometimes uh, with people who, you know, they don't belong. They don't feel like they belong. There was a time when we were all aliens in terms of our faith. There were a time when none of us knew God. There was a time where we were all distant from him. We didn't know God. And Paul says this to us. He says in Ephesians 2 verse 12, he says, remember, say remember. He says, remember that you were at at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope and without God in the world. That sentence describes how each one of us at one point in our lives was. We were without hope and without God in the world. We will better embrace people who do not know God when we remember what it was like to not know God. So I want to encourage you to think of a time in your life when you were far from God, a time when you didn't know Him, a time when you hadn't experienced the peace that He gives, when you haven't experienced the power and the life that He gives. And if we do that, if we can regain some of that perspective, we will have more time and compassion 
for those who do not know him. Maybe you're here today and it's still the case that you don't know God. You and God are estranged, so to speak. Well, all of us have been there at at one point, some point in our lives. And the good news is you don't have to stay in that place. Following on from where we read a couple of moments ago, it says in Ephesians 2, 13, 18 and 19, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are no longer aliens. You're no longer outside of the knowledge of God. You're no longer outside of the grace and the love of God. Our conviction as Christians is that you don't have to be distant from the God who made you. You don't have to be. You can know God intimately and personally. And here's the thing. It says there, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? And by what? By the blood of Christ. And many of you are familiar with this, but for the sakes of the one and the twos who don't and aren't, you need to know that mankind rebelled against God. In the beginning, God made the world perfect. He made mankind perfect. But we rebelled against Him and sin came into the world. Sin reigned in our world all that time. And then Jesus, God said, enough is enough. And he sent his son Jesus to earth to live as a human being, to live a perfect life which he lived, the life that we were never able to live and the life that we, did, we haven't lived. And he died on a cross in our place. His blood was shed, that blood which brings us near. And the Bible makes it clear that if we believe in Christ's death and in his resurrection and we put our faith and we invest our life in that, that we can be brought near to God. We can have that relationship with God. And if you're here today and you're saying, Graham, that's what's missing in my life, then it'd be my privilege at the end to lead you in a prayer that will connect you with God. So we've all been outsiders and aliens in terms of our faith at one time, but I want to make this a little bit more tangible for you. I want you all to think about a time in your life when you felt like an outsider. Imagine a time in your life. Maybe it was a time when uh, you went to a friend's party. Everyone else seemed to know each other, but you went there and uh, you didn't know anyone. Or maybe it was when you joined a university course partway through a year or a school partway through a year and everyone else had already made their little friends and you were coming into this little world. I want you to imagine that. Or maybe it was a time where uh, you started a new job in a kind of established office where everyone knew them, each other. Think about how you felt. Or think about even how you felt when you attended a church for a first time. How did you feel? How did you feel in those situations? Speak to me. You feel nervous? What else do you feel? Speak up. Lost? Unwanted? Unsure? Maybe you feel exposed, vulnerable, self-conscious certainly, isolated. You may even feel embarrassed. And what I want you to realize is that sometimes it's possible that this is how people feel when they enter your little world. So when they come into contact with your group of friends, or when they even attend your home group for the first time, or when they serve on your team for the first time, or when they even walk through the doors of this church for the first time. That's sometimes how people can feel. And so my appeal to you 
It's to remember how that feels and to embrace people who are coming from the outside as if they belonged, as if they were one of us already. That's what it means to love the alien. And so what I want to talk to you for the, remaining of the, the remainder of the message today is, is how we do that. What does that actually look like in day-to-day terms? And I want to talk to you about two categories of your life. Firstly, I want to talk about your private life, and secondly, I want to talk about our, our church life. So my next heading is making your private life alien-friendly. Making your private life alien-friendly. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Are outsiders welcome in your life? Are outsiders welcome in your life? You don't have to respond. I just want you to reflect on that. Are outsiders welcome in your life? Or do you restrict your interactions and your relationships to a select few? Ponder that for a moment. Do you restrict your interactions and your relationships to just a select few? Here's a question I do want you to respond to. How many here would view themselves as a hospitable person? Um, just put up your hand if you think um, you don't need to be modest or shy or anything like that. Good, good few hands here. That's fantastic. Here's how somebody defined hospitality. Hospitality is making your guests feel at home even though you wish they were. Um, that's not a Bible definition. This is, this is actually what the Bible teaches about uh, hospitality. In fact, this is uh, examining a Greek word, the Greek word for hospitality is the word philosenia, uh, which comes, it'll hopefully come up on the screen behind me. It comes from two words, philos, which means loving or friendly, and xenos, which means a stranger. You've heard of xenophobia. Xenophobia is being afraid of things which are unfamiliar, and so xenos means a stranger. So put the two together, and what do we get? So what does hospitality mean? It means a, to be a lover of strangers. Now, isn't that really interesting? Isn't that really interesting? So I'm going to ask you again. You don't have to respond this time, but are you a hospitable person? When the Bible speaks of hospitality, what it's speaking of is embracing people who do not belong yet. And that's why it says in Romans 12, 13, pursue the practice of hospitality. This is what John Piper says. He says, the physical force of gravity pulls everything to the center of the earth. In order to break free from earth-centered life, thousands and thousands of pounds of energy have to push the space shuttle away from the center. There's also a psychological force of gravity that constantly pulls our thoughts and affections and physical actions inward toward the center of our own selves and our own homes. Therefore, the most natural thing in the world is to neglect hospitality. It is, it is the path of least, least resistance. All we have to do is yield to the natural gravity of our self-centered life, and the result will be a life so full of self that there is no room for hospitality. We will forget about it, and we will neglect it. So the Bible bluntly says, stop that, build a launching pad, fill up your boosters, and blast out of your self-oriented routine. Stop neglecting hospitality. Practice hospitality. I want to encourage you to think about the way you use your home is your home just a safe haven to which you retreat and close the door and bolt your 14 locks? Or are outsiders welcome in your home? Is your door often open to those who are out with your inner circle? When was the last time you invited someone to your house that wasn't a friend or relative? 
When was the last time you had in your home someone who wasn't already a believer? The guy who came to read the gas meter doesn't count. (laughs) When was the last time you entertained someone who was a a different race or social class? Challenging questions, maybe. Your homework this week is to make a decision to make your home more hospitable, more open to people out with your inner circle. So maybe you need to invite someone for dinner. Maybe you need to invite your neighbor around. Maybe someone in your office who everyone has just kind of ignored, their new person who nobody's bothered to get to know. Maybe it's time that you invited them over for dinner. I want you to be especially mindful of this coming up to Christmas. Christmas is an extremely difficult time for a lot of people. Uh, I can remember when I was a kid, uh, when I was growing up, Christmas was just a real family time. It was just when you got together with your friends and, or just your close family. And it was just this really special time around the uh, breakfast and the, the Christmas lunch and all that stuff. And many of you, that's our experience. And it is a family time. Um, but I remember one Christmas when I was maybe 10 or 11 years old, my auntie, our extended family were coming around to our house, and my auntie invited this foreign exchange student to Christmas dinner. I have to tell you, I was severely miffed that this stranger was, I was only 10, give me a break, was coming into, was coming into this comfortable, cozy little family gathering. I had to, you know, I had to be all polite instead of just being myself. And as I was kind of preparing this and that came back to my mind, I thought, what a horrible, horrible attitude that was. What a completely ungodly attitude that was. And I want to encourage us to step out of our comfort zones a little bit, especially in view of of Christmas coming up. See, many people don't have family, and the family possibly that they do have, especially in an international church like this, is possibly at the other side of the world. And maybe we should be their family this Christmas. The Guardian newspaper last year at Christmas time said this. It said, for the other 360 odd days of the year, you can bustle about filling the day with errands and noise, but Christmas allows no hiding place. There can be no excuses, not when everyone else seems to be with someone cozy in the company of friends or family. The message coming from every song on the radio and every ad on the telly is that if you are alone at Christmas, you are lonely. It goes on to say that recent research showed one in three of those over 60 do not talk to a friend or family member as long, for as long as a week, while one in 10 can pass a whole month without a, such a conversation. The latter figure means that there are 850 Britons who are seriously lonely. This is quite remarkable. The World Health Organization rates loneliness as a higher health risk than lifelong smoking while researchers see a link between the lack of social interaction and Alzheimer's disease. So my challenge to you is, who can you reach out to this Christmas? And I'm not talking just about Christmas Day. I'm just talking about during that season where it's very difficult for a lot of people. How can we as a church embrace them, as individuals embrace them into our lives and include them? So that's a bit about your private life. Well, how can we make our church alien-friendly? You know, I I have a dream, I really do, I have a dream for Destiny Church Edinburgh that we would be the most welcoming place in this city. Is that okay? Can you dream with me with with that? Can you say amen to that? 
that we would be the most welcoming place in this city, that if people had been ignored and rejected everywhere else, that when they walk through these doors, they would receive a welcome from us. Church, let's be that kind of church, that people would feel more at home here than they would feel in any restaurant, cafe, casino, or brothel in the city. Let's make sure that people are feeling welcomed here. You know, for some, for some attending church, is an incredibly daunting thing, an incredibly daunting thing. For people to cross over our threshold, it's an incredibly difficult thing for them to do. That's for, why some people, sneakily, you know who you are, arrive late and leave early before anyone has a chance to speak to them, because it's a daunting thing coming into a place like this. And so let's make it as undaunting as possible. It saddens me greatly to think that there's a possibility that people might leave here on a Sunday without having felt like they were embraced by anyone. I remember there was, a, there was one time specifically where I remember chasing someone down a street and because I saw them in church and I wasn't convinced they got a welcome, so I ran out the door after them, down the road to shake their hands and say, listen, it was so good to see you at church. Thanks for coming. Sorry I didn't get a chance to say hi indoors. If everyone could have that kind of attitude, that would be fantastic. We've got to grasp God's heart for the outsider and assimilate that into our DNA. And I promise you that reaching thousands is possible if we do that. So let's talk about things that maybe prevent people feeling like they belong in churches, things that alienate people. I've got four things for you. The first one is religiosity. Religiosity. You know, when we've become accustomed to church life, when we've been around for a while, we become accustomed to the thing, the kind of habits and the practices and the speak that Christians speak, don't we? Not everyone is accustomed to those things, especially people coming in from the outside aren't accustomed to those things. And it's very easy to think what it's like for an outsider who's not used to our practices and our jargon and the way we do things here. I was kind of laughing to myself quite recently when one of my colleagues made a statement, which I'm not having to dig at them uh, because I said exactly the same thing several days later. We have this kind of Christianese that we speak, and the phrase was this, you need to be planted in a body. Obviously, what we mean by that, planted means speaks of commitment and being rooted, uh, being rooted down. A body speaks of the body of Christ, the church. Um, So we're talking about real commitment to the local church is what we mean. But I wanted you to imagine what what image does that bring to your mind when when you say the the term planted into a body? What image is that bringing into your mind? And so we need to be careful um, that we don't alienate people by the way we conduct ourselves and the way we carry on. Uh, I believe Paul makes a, a similar point when he's talking about speaking in tongues and spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14. He says this in verse 16, Otherwise, if, I give thanks with, if you give thanks with your spirit, that is, if you pray in tongues, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? And his point is this, spiritual gifts are good. Let's not neglect spiritual gifts. In fact, he encourages them. Um, But what he's saying is we need to be careful how we operate in them, and we need to be careful what that looks like and what our audience is thinking. I think we similarly need to be careful that our spirituality or our super-spirituality doesn't alienate outsiders, people who are coming in from the outside. You know what annoys me most about Christians or about churches is weird Christians. 
I'm fairly convinced that some Christians are extraterrestrial. <laughs> if you want to get up my nose, um, just be a kind of really flaky, weird old Christian. <laughs> that will wind me up like nothing else. And please, 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 don't be strange. Christians are meant to be normal. Yeah, we're meant to be supernatural people, but we're actually meant to be normal and real and genuine and not kind of wired to the moon or anything else. We, we need to be actually normal people. So don't be weird. Is that okay? <laughs> point number one today, if, if you learn nothing else. Second point, second thing that alienates people in churches is cliques. This is a biggie. This is how the Chambers Dictionary defines cliques. A clique is a group of friends, professional colleagues, etc., who stick together and listen are hostile towards outsiders. Can you see that this is the exact antithesis, the exact opposite of everything we've been discussing so far? We all naturally form groups of friends, and that's important, actually. That's really healthy. But here's the thing. There should always be room for one more. There should always be room for one more in your circle. Never close down. Never allow your group of friends to be so hostile to others that people can't feel that they can join in and become a part of your group. You know, very sadly, a lot of churches have become cliquey. And I want to plead with you this morning. I want to really plead with you. Please do not allow that to happen in this church. Is that okay? Please do not allow that to happen in our church. Do not become a cliquey bunch of people. Make every effort to include new people into your circle of friends. The third thing which I believe alienates people in church life is prejudice. Prejudice. And this exists in, in many forms in our society. And Edinburgh is becoming increasingly cosmopolitan. We've got lots of people coming from other nations, other places. And not everyone is thrilled about this. Not everyone in the city is particularly thrilled that we've got a lot, lot more Polish people than we once did or a lot more Romanian people than we once did. And there's a lot of racism that exists out there. And the challenge we have is that as we continue to grow, as we continue to bring people in, um, is that people will be coming into the church with those built-in prejudices and racism. And so we just need to make sure that we educate people that the labels that exist out there do not exist in here. The labels Catholic and Protestant, while they may have significance out there, really are of no significance in here. The color of your skin, while it may be of consequence out there, is of no consequence when you walk through these doors. The amount that you have in your bank, while it may be important out there, is certainly of no importance in here. The Bible says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And it's possible you're here today and you're a believer and you carry in your heart prejudice towards another person, whether they be of another social class, another race, whatever it might be. Um, I have to challenge you this morning. I believe I'm commissioned by God this morning to challenge your attitude. There is no room for racism in churches. There's no room for it at all. And we need to adjust our attitude if we are thinking in that way, if we feel towards others, um, if we carry prejudice in our hearts towards other people, whether they be of a different people group, a different race, a different social class, there's no room for that in churches, so don't do it. And lastly, another thing that alienates people in churches, I believe, is what I call an elder brother spirit. 
an elder brother spirit. What does that mean, Graham? Well, I'm referring to a parable that Jesus told, which I spoke about not too long ago. It was the parable of the prodigal son. And most of the time we focus our attention in that parable on the, the prodigal son, the, the lost son who went AWOL. And we don't spend a lot of time focusing on the elder brother, who's the other son who was left behind. Um, I'll describe this story very briefly for the sake of those who don't know it. There was a father who had two sons. The younger son came to his father one day and said, Father, I want my share of the inheritance. Let me have it. And the father obliges. He gives him his share of the inheritance. The son goes away to a distant land. He squanders the money on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Eventually, the uh, famine hits that part of the land. He hits rock bottom. He doesn't have anything. He wants to eat the food that he's feeding the pigs. And he, he realizes, he comes to his senses, and he thinks, how many of my father's hired slaves have more than enough bread to eat? And he says, I'm going to go back to them. I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you. I want you to take me back, but I want you to take me back as a slave. I want you to treat me as you would a hired servant. And he comes back, and the beautiful thing is the father is overjoyed to see the son. He runs to him. He braces him. He puts shoes on his feet. He puts a robe on his back. He puts a ring on his finger, and he welcomes him back, and he throws the biggest party ever for this kid. And it's beautiful. But the one thing that tarnishes the whole event is his elder brother. His elder brother, the Bible records, was angry, and he did not go in. He didn't go in to join the party. And I want you to imagine what that does in the mind of the younger brother who's in there trying to enjoy a party that's been thrown on his behalf when he knows his older brother is outside resenting the fact that he's in there. What's that doing in that guy's soul? He's he's not able to fully concentrate. He's kind of got half an eye on whether or not his elder brother's going to come in eventually. But his elder brother's made his stand And what's going on here? Well, I believe his heart has become cold. This elder brother, his heart has become cold and his mindset has become self-absorbed. He's become more concerned about the measure of attention that his father was giving him than he was careful or, or cared about the welfare of his lost brother. He felt overlooked and he resented that fact. He should have been really overjoyed that the younger brother had come back, and yet his heart was hard, and he resented the fact. Um, How do we know if we have some degree, maybe just an inkling of an elder brother spirit? Here's some things, and some of these might be challenging. In fact, some of them are challenging for me also. Here's one thing. You shoot a dirty look at the smokers at the door when you come to church, you get a bit angry when the teenagers, the Ian and the team and Mark and Kirsty are trying to reach on a Friday night when they come into our services and make a bit of noise. That upsets you, that gets you angry. Or maybe you've become more concerned about whether your needs and your preferences are being catered for than whether or not the lost are being won in our church. And here's a good one. You get upset when someone sits in your seat I heard a story recently, Uh, in fact Roddy told me about a well-known church in our nation, which is a really fantastic example of, uh, you know, a contemporary church, and yet he said they experienced exactly this problem in that church. This is not a problem that that we're immune from, Um, but I have to say, if I ever hear the words, you're sitting in my seat in this building, (laughs) 
I will scour the Bible and find a Bible verse that justifies your excommunication <laughs> from our church. <laughs> Please never allow that to happen here. These attitudes, and as I say, I've been challenged by some of the things I've been sharing myself, can creep in very subtly into our mindset and into our thinking. They're incredibly subtle, especially when you've been around for a long time, you've been serving, you've been giving your all to this church. And I have to say at this point that if that's you, if you have been here, you've been faithfully with us, maybe you've been here a decade or longer, just doing away in the background, you are completely valued. We honor you for your service. It's fantastic what you've done. Everything you've contributed has been worthwhile and noticed. But let's not get so focused on ourselves that we forget to celebrate the new people and the new things that God is doing and the new people that he's adding. Okay, so that's what not to do. That's that's how not to welcome people and embrace outsiders in our church. Here's two very practical things that I want you to do um, in response to what I've said. First thing is, and this isn't a new thought, neither of these are. They're just things we haven't talked about a lot, I don't think, recently. Um, The first one is you have to become an honorary member of the welcome team. We have a a welcome visitors team in our church. Who's on that team? Give me a wave. You guys are fantastic. Let's show our appreciation to these guys. (laughs) However, the rest of you who didn't put your hands up are wrong, okay? You are all part of the welcome team. Welcoming people to church is never, has never been, and never will be the job of four people with a badge, okay? It is never their job alone, never their job. They're the professionals that are kind of maybe uh, filling in the gaps here and there, but it should be all of our jobs to embrace people, to welcome people to church, So join the welcome team. You don't have to be on a rota, but just go in on a Sunday with a mindset. I'm going to be here as somebody who's going to embrace people that are coming in. Whether they're newcomers or not, it makes no difference. Just be all-inclusive in your attitude in terms of welcoming people into church. The second thing I want you to do is adopt the five-minute rule. And this is something I remember talking a lot about in the early days of the church. I've not heard it talked about so much recently. Uh, The five-minute rule is a kind of unwritten rule that says that at the end of church, you're not allowed to speak for the first five minutes to anyone that you know, okay? You're not allowed to speak to anyone you know. You have to (laughs) avoid them. I'm not speaking to you. (laughs) It's not what I mean. (laughs) But you have to make a concerted effort in those five minutes preceding. I don't want you to all start your stopwatches or anything, but I just want you to have the attitude that I'm going to do my best to connect with someone new I consider it a failure, a failed Sunday, if I personally haven't meaningfully connected with at least one person uh, on a Sunday, at least one new person. I really do. I go away depressed. I think, you know, how can I not have connected with at least one new person? It was pretty cool. Last week, I met a lady called Dorcas. Where are you? And this week, I met another lady called Dorcas who's over here somewhere down here. So I've never met a single person called Dorcas in my whole life, and I meet two in in two weeks. Um, It's a privilege to have you guys, uh, relative newcomers to the church. It's fantastic to have you. But I want to encourage you all, connect with people meaningfully. Do that every Sunday if you can. I really, really appreciate it. I just want to sum up by reading, uh, this is something that Jesus said, um, it's describing how Jesus is going to judge the earth when, when he returns. 
It's in Matthew 25, verse 31 to 40, and it says this, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, come you who are blessed of My Father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or need clothing, and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. When we look after the outsider, whether it's we welcome the new person at church, or whether we invite someone into our homes that doesn't normally belong there. Jesus says, when you do that, you welcome me. You welcome me. How many of you want to be commended by Jesus at the end of your life? There shouldn't be a hand that isn't up in this room today. Well, let's be people that embrace outsiders the same way that we'd embrace Jesus if he showed up at our door. Amen? Okay, let's pray together. Father, I thank you, God, that you've painted it so clear in your word that your grace ought not to be limited to a select group of people. God, your word says that you so loved the world that you sent your only son. God, you loved the whole world. You loved every person on this planet. God, your word says that you do not desire that anyone should perish, but all to come to a knowledge of the truth. God, I thank you that you're interested in people, especially people who are outside of the knowledge of you. And God, I pray that you would uh, give us all as a church a heart for people who do not belong yet. Lord, help us to gear ourselves and our activities and our mindsets and our attitude in such a way that people who do not belong yet will feel like they belong among us. God, I pray that we would become the most welcoming place in this city. Lord, let that be. Let that be so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer in a moment, just keeping an attitude of prayer. It's possible that you're here today um, and you, at the moment, feel like you're outside of a knowledge of God. You don't know Him. You've never experienced His embrace. You've never experienced His forgiveness. You don't have hope that when you die, you could go and be with Him. You could have eternal life. If that's you today and you're saying, Graham, listen, I don't feel I have confidence in any of those things, but I really want to. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to come into 
the knowledge of you want to come into that relationship well the good news is as I I promised earlier you can do that and God is only a prayer away I shared earlier what we call the gospel which is the good news that Jesus died in your place on the cross 2,000 years ago that he died in your place that he rose again from the dead and that in that act he paid the price for the sin that you and I have committed so that you don't need to pay that price yourself and you can have a free access to God and experience eternal life. All you need to do is embrace what Jesus has done for you and give your heart to him. And the Bible promises that you will have eternal life. And so if you want, to, if you want those promises, I'm going to give you an opportunity just now. I'm going to pray a prayer. And all I want you to do is just repeat a line after the line that I say. You don't say, out, don't say it out loud. You just say it under your breath between you and God. Pray like this. God, I thank you so much that you love me passionately. God, I thank you that even though I'm a sinner, you care for me. God, I ask you to forgive me for all of the sin that I've committed in my life. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his death and his resurrection. And I give my life to you now, God. Thank you, you accept me. Thank you, I'm, your, I'm one of your children. And I've now got hope of eternal life with you. Amen. Just keep your eyes shut for a moment. You know what I'd really appreciate is if you prayed that prayer today, if you pray that prayer, just while everyone else's eyes are shut and heads are bowed, if you prayed that, just let me know just by slipping your hand in the air. Is anyone here like that? Pray that prayer. Just slip your hand in the air just now. Thank you. Anyone else? Wherever you are in the building, if you pray that prayer, just let me know by slipping your hand up in the air and putting it down again. Just give it another moment. Anyone else? God, I thank you so much for this dear person or persons, God, who responded to you today. God, thank you so much for that. God, I, I pray, Lord, that they would experience a new measure of your grace in their life. God, I pray that they'd experience your life-giving power. God, I pray that they'd know you more closely than they ever have. God, I thank you that you accept them, that you embrace them. I pray you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand. We're going to close in worship.